Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Stonebridge Church. If this is your first time here, we're really glad to have you. My name is Matt Yoder, and I'm one of the pastors here. And we're starting a new series this morning, going through our DNA. What are we all about as a church? And we're all about what we call the three C's. And so today we'll be talking about celebrating. What does that mean? Who are we celebrating? What does that look like? And then next week we'll talk about connecting, and then uh, the week after that we'll talk about contributing, and that's, that's what we're all about as a church. But what do we celebrate as people in general? What do we celebrate? We celebrate accomplishments, right? Someone graduates, we go to their graduation parties. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I'd go to like 50 of them in one day. Maybe a slight exaggeration, but not that slight. But, um, but you know, we celebrate people graduating, we celebrate the Chiefs beating the Patriots, right? Amen? Can I get... No, no, amen. All right, amen. Great. There was some game yesterday that I can't remember. And, uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, we celebrate a lot of things. Uh, I read this Babylon Bee article. Um, and if you're familiar with the Babylon Bee, it's complete satire. So this isn't, this isn't real or true. I uh, just want to preface that. There's been a lot of crazy stuff out there from the Babylon Bee that people have taken as fact. Um, so don't do that, by the way. Um, but this one's called College Football is Now the Nation's Largest Religion, all right? So replacing Christianity, which had held the title since the nation was founded, college football has, uh, has officially become the largest organized religion in the United States, reports confirmed. The polytheistic religion claims many millions of adherents, each of whom passionately worships a local teen deity. It was just a matter of time given followers extreme devotion, zeal, and willingness to proselytize, and an uptick in conversions since last season sent NCAA football straight to the top spot, a Pew Research spokesman told the reporters Tuesday. College football fans readily fill entire large stadiums for worship, sometimes exceeding 100,000 people for a single service. The spokesperson also stated that worship services regularly feature passionate displays of adoration, like decorative dress, feasting, cheering, jumping up and down, and screaming all kinds of explicitives at rival deities throughout the service. It's tough times for Christianity. As the experts predict, the religion will also be passed by Beyonce worship before the end of the year, <laughs> which I don't doubt. I think we're already there, actually. So um, nothing wrong with college football, by the way. I watched my fair share of it yesterday and enjoy it. Um, but we celebrate a lot of things, and maybe college football a little too much. For some people, I'm not here to, here to judge. God knows your heart. We also celebrate celebrities, right? That's where the name comes from, celebrity, celebrate. Uh, one such celebrity who's probably, um, without exaggeration, one of the most celebrated human beings of all time, certainly one of the most celebrated um, entertainers of all time, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson sold 750 million records. He had 13 number one singles. He won 13 Grammys. He had 50 sold-out shows at the O2 Arena in London when he died. So think about this. His career's done, okay? I mean, let's just be honest. His career was, was basically done at that point. And he sold out 50 shows at the same place that he never actually performed before he died. He was pretty celebrated, right? On top of that, at his funeral, there was 3,200 what? Police. That's just how many police were at his funeral. 
there was 11,000 at the funeral because that's how many the Staples Center would hold uh, for the way it was configured. And then 31 million viewed Michael Jackson's funeral online or on TV. This is second only to, anyone want to guess? What? Princess Di, very good. Wow, you guys are good on your funeral uh, stats here. Um, on top of that, $1.6 million was spent applying for lottery tickets to get into the funeral. So they had, you know, the family and friends who were invited. And then $1.6 million was just to throw your name in a hat to maybe get into the funeral. Okay? He was a really celebrated guy. We celebrate lots of things, lots of people, because God cr- actually created us to celebrate. And we're always celebrating something. Whether you realize it or not, you are always celebrating something. So what are you celebrating? Or who are you celebrating? You have two choices, really. You can celebrate someone that will die or something that's just going to fade away. Or you can celebrate someone who's eternal and never fades. God. And that's what this is all about. That's what this whole message, that is what our church is all about. Celebrating God for who he is and what he's done. So let's turn to Psalm 100. And while you guys are going there, just a little bit about Psalm 100. The little subheading that's there, it says a psalm for giving thanks. That's actually the inspired word of God. That wasn't added by translators. That was there in the original manuscripts. This is the only psalm that has that title, for giving thanks, which is interesting. It was used by the church for centuries as a, as a song that they, would sing, that they made into a song for corporate worship. So Psalm 100 has been a part of the life of the church for years and centuries. It's written to the nation of Israel before Jesus came. So as with the rest of the Old Testament, Psalm 100 is even more rich in light of what Jesus did. So I'm excited to dive into this with you this morning. Let's read Psalm 100. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. So, a great, fun, easy way to study the Bible is is just by asking three questions. Maybe you're new to studying the Bible. You're like, I don't really know what to do with this. Or maybe you've studied it for years and just kind of looking for a fresh way to go about it. Um, Three questions. What does it say about who God is? Okay. What do I learn about God in this psalm? Second question. What does it say about what God does? What's God up to? What are his actions? And then thirdly, what does it say about people? whether it's Israel or other people or it's directly to us as Christians? What does it say about people? So that's how we're going to go about this this morning. We're going to answer that first question. What does it say about who God is? Because we're here to celebrate God for who He is. Well, it says in verse 3, Know that the Lord, He is God. Here's why we celebrate God. Because He's God. Okay? Now, right here, it's interesting. It says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It's basically like saying, know that God, he is God. Okay, duh. All right. 
when I, when I look at this, I'm like, okay, psalm writer, um, you didn't make any sense there. Uh, of course he's God. You just said he was God, right? But then you look a little deeper, all right? And the Hebrew words here, when it says Lord in all uppercase in the Old Testament, it's referring to the word Yahweh, which was actually just consonants with no vowels in there. So it was unpronounceable, um, which showed how great God was, but it really focused on his personal nature. This is the personal name for God. And, and that's reflected in Genesis. So in Genesis 1, we have one account of God creating everything. Genesis 2, we have another account of God creating everything. In Genesis 1, it's the second word here. It's where it just says God. That word is Elohim, and that's talking about the creator God who is great, who is far above us, magnificent, majestic. Okay, that's Genesis 1. And if you read Genesis 1, you get that. He created this, and then he created that, and he created that. Genesis 2, it gets more personal. And then the word for God changes to Yahweh, to Lord, all uppercase. And that's what happens here. Know that the personal God, God who is not distant, who doesn't, who's not out here and doesn't care about us or anything that's going on in this world. No, this is the personal God who absolutely cares about everything that's going on in the world and absolutely cares about you and your heart. That God, he's the creator of everything. It's saying experience the personal God who's infinitely great. And maybe you, maybe you t- tend to operate in one camp or the other. And I think this is true about all of us, we tend to operate in one camp or the other. We're like, yeah, God is magnificent and holy and great and magnificent. But what tends to happen when we only have that view of God in our head is he becomes impersonal, distant, not really involved. And then we have others of us who get caught up in God being so personal. He's my homeboy, right? You get the t-shirts. Jesus is my homeboy. Right? He's my bestie. Snuggle up next to him. Doesn't matter if you do anything wrong over here. We're still walking together. You know, kind of like the grandpa with the twinkle in his eye. Here's some candy, you know. Um, No matter what you do, I still got candy for you. Right? God isn't actually either one of those. He's both and. He is both great and amazing and far above us and cannot stand being in the presence of sin. And at the same time, the personal God who loves you more than you have c- could even love yourself or love anybody. That's who we're celebrating. God who is so magnificent that he breathed out stars, but at the same time knows you more than you know yourself, knows you better than you know yourself. And it says here, know that the Lord is God. Okay, it's not just know. This word for know means to know by experience. Don't just know it in your head. Be convinced of it in your heart to where it spills out into the way you're living. Know that God is personal and that He is magnificent and great. So we're celebrating God because He is God. We're celebrating God because He's good. Look at verse 5. For the Lord, Yahweh, personal God, is good. What's that mean? That's in the Bible a lot. That's in Christian jargon a lot, right? Uh, You guys know the response if I go, um, 
I'm blanking right now. Um, yeah, all the time. God is good. Thank you. That, shout out to my cousin Rachel for helping me with my amnesia. Uh, all right. He's the definition of good. He's the definition of good. Now that changes the game. Because if we say that God is good by some arbitrary standard or some standard that we get to make up, then everyone's going to have a different version of God being good. But he's actually the definition of good. So what does it mean that God is good? God is good, meaning that his character is the best. His character is the best. And it also means that his actions are always the best. He always has the best in mind with everything he is and everything that he does. So in all circumstances, he is good. It may not seem like he's good at all sometimes in our life. But we can know because he's the definition of good that he actually knows what is best. Why? Because he is what's best. And he can only do what's in the, what, what is the best. And he can't, he can't do what's not best. If he says he's good, this doesn't change when it doesn't feel like it. Okay, Our feelings don't tell us what God is like. God tells us what he's like in the Bible. So when it doesn't feel like it, We need to cling to God and trust that you are good. You know what's best. You see the big picture even though I don't understand it. You know, Hurricane Harvey hit. Irma's hitting as we speak down in Florida. How's God good in that, Matt? I don't know. I'm not not God. But I know that what God is doing or allowing is best. Listen to this very carefully. Tim Keller said this. This is brilliant. If you have a good, great, and transcendent God who is transcendent enough to be mad at because he hasn't stopped evil and suffering in the world, then you have at the same moment a God great and transcendent enough to have good reasons for allowing it to continue that you can't know. Here's what he's saying. If you can go, God, why would you do that? I'm so mad at you for allowing that hurricane, for allowing my child to die, whatever it is. I'm so mad at you. If you have a view of God that could control that situation, then you also at the same moment have a view of God that says that God is so in control and is so good that he actually knows that allowing that horrible thing to happen is actually for the best in the long run. Okay, he is so, if he is that great, if you're willing to go that far and and blame God and yell at God, get mad at God for whatever happened, then you have a God big enough in your mind to also see the big picture and know that this is best, even when we don't understand, even when it makes no sense to us. I said this a couple weeks ago when we were in Ruth, but God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. Think about this. God never has to wrestle with the lesser of two evils question, right? So imagine a tornado is coming towards Boone, and for some reason, none of the news stations are reporting it, okay? And it's not on Facebook, which is a miracle, because everything's on Facebook, right? <laughs> but... A tornado's coming, and you see it. Let's just say it's coming. There's the tornado. I see it about to smash into Boone, all right? And I'm at home with my little two-year-old Brandon, and Joy's at school, 
and let's just say Heather's out of town, okay, for this illustration. Um, I have at that moment the choice of the lesser of two evils. I can stay at home, go in the basement with Brandon and protect myself and Brandon, or I can go to the school and warn everyone at the school, and, but, at the, but in so doing, I might get hit by the tornado in my car on the way there. What do you do? I don't know. I don't know what I do in that situation. But God never has to wrestle with that. God doesn't, God knows instinctively what the right decision is there because he knows what's best. He knows what's good. That's what it means that God is good. When we're celebrating that God is good, we're celebrating that he instinctively does what's best because he is the best, even when it doesn't make sense. We're celebrating God because he's loving. Verse 5, for the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever. Love. What does this mean? God's love is, it means that he eternally gives of himself to others. Wayne Grudem said that. He eternally gives of himself to others. This term, this term steadfast love could be said loyal love or extravagant love. It's over the top. It's undeserved. It's unexpected. Okay, it's like when someone betrays you. And you choose to forgive them. And they end up loving you anyways. They end up turning a corner unexpectedly. All they've done is betray you in your life. And then suddenly they just pour on goodness. They pour on love. They pour on grace unexpectedly. But with God, it's undeserved as well. We're all messed up. We're all broken. We're all sinful people. And we don't deserve anything from God. But yet, He loves us. It's steadfast. It doesn't change from one day to the next. You know, you do a better job loving your spouse from one day to the next. Okay, I do a better job loving Heather from one day to the next. One day, I'll do fantastic. One day... um, with my kids too, right? One day I'll be doing awesome. I'll be helping out with the dishes and playing on the floor with the kids. And the next day I'll just be laying there on the couch, right? God isn't like that. God's love doesn't change. It's steadfast. It's not different from one day to the next. It endures forever. Unlike anything or anyone you celebrate here, right? Celebrities die. Sports teams don't win every game like yesterday. Uh, (laughs) People who love you aren't always there for you. God loves eternally, steadfastly, loyal, extravagant love. Then of verse 5, and his faithfulness to all generations. We're celebrating God because he is good because he is loving and because he is faithful what does that mean that he's faithful it means that he's true to who he is and to what he promises so if god promises that if anyone believes in him he will have eternal life that's 100 percent true and he did promise that in john three sixteen. that's absolutely true or else god ceases to be god if i end up dying i believe in jesus and i end up dying and don't have eternal life It means God ceases to be God because he lied to me. But that's not God. God is faithful. Everything he promises, he does.
This is totally unlike a friend who hurt you. This is totally unlike a spouse who cheated on you. This is totally unlike the boss who lied to you about that raise you were going to get. God is faithful. He doesn't go back on his word. We can trust him. That's why we celebrate him. So if we begin to wrap our minds around who God is, we can't help but celebrate. If we begin to wrap our minds around who God is, we can't help but celebrate. And we're just, we're just starting to scratch the surface here of who God is. But we're going to move on now to that second question. What does this passage say about what God does? So look at verse 3. He made us. He's the creator. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And then it continues. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He made us his people. So here, he's talking about the Israelites. He made the Israelites his people. Now think about Abraham. If you don't know Abraham from Genesis, he was just this random dude. Okay? There was nothing special about Abraham. And God just said, "Mm, I'm going to make a great nation starting with that dude. Nothing special about these Israelites. And same is true for us today. Certainly nothing special about us. If you believed in Jesus, it's not because of anything that you have going on. It's not because of any, any skills you have. Okay, God is unimpressed with us. But yet he made us his people. And how much more secure are we now? Abraham... You know, he didn't have verses like John 3.16 for him. When we believe in Jesus, we can be 100% sure and 100% secure in what God says, that we are His and nothing can separate us from Him. Nothing. He made us His. What else did God do? He displayed His love and His faithfulness. How did He do that? By going to the cross. By dying a brutal death, and then rising from the dead. We're celebrating God's decisive act on the cross. There's no other act more loving. There's no other act more worth celebrating than the cross. How do we celebrate God? Third question, what does it say about people? What does it say about people? Well, it says in here several times, to serve God, to worship God, to praise God. What do, what do all those terms mean? A synonym is celebrate. That's why we chose celebrate as one of our core DNA. It's all over the Bible. Serve, worship, praise God. How do we do that? We do it with joy and gladness. Verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Genuine joy. Genuine gladness. How do you do that when life sucks? Two things. Actually, there are several reasons. Several ways to find joy when life is horrible. But two things in particular we can always cling on to that produce genuine joy in all circumstances if you remember them. If you forget them, have spiritual amnesia, just choose not to think about them, it's really hard to find joy. Here's what it is. First, joy in the finished work of Jesus. No matter what happens to you, even if your home got wiped away by a hurricane, even if your spouse left you, even if, even if the most horrible thing happened to you, nothing can take away the fact that Jesus died on the cross 
and rose from the dead to give you a relationship with him. Nothing can take that from you. And that should produce so much joy. We deserve God's wrath. We deserve hell. But instead, for us who believe, we have joy because we have heaven. We have real relationship with Jesus. And as soon as we start to lose joy in the gospel, then we're going to be depressed. We're going to be bummed out a lot of the time because this world is messed up. I don't, you don't, I don't have to tell you that. You guys know how messed up this world is because of sin, brokenness, ugliness. That's why God sent Jesus to bring joy, unshakable joy. So we can find joy because of the finished work of Jesus. We can find joy because of the Holy Spirit, God inside of us for those who know Jesus. One of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Joy. If you have the Holy Spirit, we should have joy. So we need to pray this verse. Check this verse out. Romans 15, 13 on the screen. We should pray this verse on Sundays. On Sundays when we don't feel joyful, don't feel like coming and celebrating God. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Both of those things, right in there. Hope and joy in believing in Jesus so that by the power of the Spirit, hope would abound, joy would abound. So we don't come and fake it on Sunday morning, right? We don't come and go, okay, God, I'm supposed to celebrate you today. Yay, I'm going to celebrate you today, right? Why do we have these today? You'll find out later. Um, No, we don't fake it. We don't have this cheesy, pasted-on smile. Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? I'm good. Oh, I'm great. Life is fantastic, even though my kids were throwing up all week, and I had to deal with this. That was actually true. Um, But we can still celebrate. We can still have joy, not just on Sunday morning, but every day of our lives, because Jesus still died for me, and Jesus still lives inside of me. And that's more than enough reason to find joy. So we can come to church and say, yeah, life is horrible. Life stinks right now. But guess what? It is well with my soul. Many of you know that great hymn. The author of that hymn wrote it after finding out that his whole family died. And he decided that I'm going to find joy. I'm going to find hope. Not in my circumstances, because circumstances are horrible right now. My wife, my kids just died. No, I'm going to find joy. I'm going to sing, it is well with my soul. Not to put on some cheesy, fake Christian smile, but because I actually do have joy because of what Jesus did and because I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. So, plainly put, verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, That should be fun. Joy should be synonymous with with having some fun, right? So um, I wanted to just take some time this morning. You know, it says make a joyful noise. Now, not all of us are singers. I understand that. So uh, not every Sunday do we get the opportunity to all make the same joyful noise together. So let's just do this. It's going to be fun. We're going to have some fun. All right, here we go.
That's great. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. <laughs> I feel like we need to hit a pinata now or something. <laughs> this is this is good. This is fun. We should actually have a lot more fun like this on on Sunday mornings. I'm convinced. So maybe we'll do more things like this in the future. Um, everyone, everyone was walking in. People were being all obnoxious, and everyone who knew that I was behind it was like, "It's pastor's fault." I'll t- I'll own that. I'll take that. <laughs> Gotta have some fun. Um, how else do we celebrate God? So we we have joy, Thanksgiving. Verse four: Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. So like we just sang with 10,000 reasons, what we do is we're, we're grateful for the millions of undeserved blessings we have. I mean, even the breath we take right now is a blessing, undeserved gift from God. And mostly we're thankful for the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here's what the opposite of that would look like on a Sunday morning. Overall, you'd just be focused on what you don't like, which means you'd be focused on you. Before going to church, you'd be like, yeah, they're probably going to do songs I don't know this week or don't like. Yep, see, the first one. Oh, man, I have to talk to that guy that really annoys the snot out of me sitting right next to me today. Please don't do meet and greet. Man, Shane, why did you do meet? Oh. Matt's preaching. His voice just puts me to sleep. I don't know what it is. I just, just fall asleep. Not much better when Joey's preaching. Um, <laughs> I couldn't help it. I'm, uh, I'm not sorry. I'm not. Uh, man, there's no Hidden Acres cookies or cinnamon rolls today. Come on. The guy behind me sings like Joey. What? What is? <laughs> or maybe you're just like, I really need some sleep. How am I supposed to celebrate this morning? When I'm just, I, I'm doing everything, pinching myself to stay awake, okay? I've been there. What if you woke up on Sunday mornings and forced yourself to thank God instead of just let your mind run with all those things that drive you nuts? What if you woke up on Sunday mornings? What if you woke up every morning and said, God, I thank you for, for shelter, that I don't have to worry about where my next meal's coming from today, that I have a family, that I have friends, that you died for me, that you rose from the dead, that I have a church family that I can go to this morning and find encouragement and hope and joy from, a church that's committed to the Bible, a church that has a great kids ministry, a church that has a great worship ministry and has connection groups and on and on and on. And then pray that God gives you strength to be thankful at church today. When you're focused on celebrating God, thankfulness flows pretty easily. But when you're focused on celebrating you, judgment flows really easily. Let me say that again. When you're focused on celebrating God, thankfulness just flows. But when you're focused on celebrating you, judgment flows. Are you going to be someone who's marked by thankfulness or judgment on Sunday morning? 
How else can we celebrate God? By singing. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Why singing? Okay, some of you are like, really singing? I don't, I'm not that great at it. Why? It's, over, it's in the Bible over and over and over to worship God with singing. Here's some reasons. First, it helps us remember and memorize who God is and what He's done. So for me lately, the song we're about to sing together, Oh, Praise the Name, says, I cast my mind to Calvary where Jesus bled and died for me. I see His wounds, His hands, His feet, my Savior on that cursed tree. So when life doesn't, mean, doesn't make sense, when I don't see the end, when things are just swirling around me lately, I've just been going to this, to this song and going, okay, I'm going to cast my mind to Calvary, to Jesus bleeding and dying for me, and it lifts me out of my circumstance, helps me celebrate, helps me find joy in Jesus, not in my circumstances. Or when life is going great, instead of focusing on all the great things that are going on, we, we take, um, we take uh, a, a song or hymn or whatever and use those lyrics to help lift us into a place where we're making God look great for the great things that are going on in our lives. It helps us emotionally connect with the truth of the Bible. Bob Coughlin, who is a worship leader, said this, God is still worthy of our highest purest, strongest emotions. Singing helps express and ignite them. Passionless singing is an oxymoron. He continues and says this, some of us are afraid of getting too emotional when we sing. But the problem isn't emotions. It's emotionalism. Emotionalism pursues feelings as ends in themselves. It's wanting to feel something with no regard for how that feeling is produced or its ultimate purpose. Emotionalism can also assume that heightened feelings are the infallible sign that God is present. They're not. The emotions that singing is meant to evoke are responses to the truths we're singing about God, His glory, His greatness, and His goodness. See, God created our emotions not to ignore them, but to use them, to channel them to worship Him. And singing helps us do that. We're celebrating the truths of the lyrics that we're singing. We really care about the lyrics in the songs that we sing here at Stonebridge Church because we know that's what you're going to remember when you go out from here. Very rarely will you remember anything I say. I, I'm, you know, they say like people forget 90% of what you say when you preach when they walk out the door, which is really encouraging to me. Um, but we remember songs and they stick with you. So we make sure those lyrics are biblical. Make sure that they help you remember what God has done, who Jesus is, and help you live a life of celebration, a life of worship. Singing enables us to celebrate God with all of us. Our emotions, our mind, our heart, our will, every part of us. God deserves holistic worship. Not just worship with our heads. Not just worship with our hearts. Not just worship with our emotions. With all of that. And singing helps us do that. Kind of brings it all together. So we have two choices. You have two choices every day. What are you going to choose? Are you going to celebrate something or someone that's going to die or fade? Or are you going to celebrate someone 
who is eternal, who is always worthy of praise, God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to celebrate you, to find joy in you, even when life doesn't make sense. God, I pray that even now, as we're about to sing, you would use this time right now to help us holistically worship you with our mind, with our heart, our emotions, with every part of us, because you deserve all of us, God. So help us to live lives of celebration, lives of worship, Jesus, for your glory, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, before we sing, um, we have a lot to celebrate here at Stonebridge Church in particular. So uh, I want to share some of those things with you. The first thing is that youth group just kicked off, led by Shane Kelderman, and he's doing an amazing job. He taught for the first time this last week, and I was blown away. Give him a hand killing it it's great um secondly yes yeah, let's do that after each one amen this is awesome this is so great um all right second thing we recently spiffed up the d6 classrooms and they look awesome <laughs> yes if this is your first time here welcome to stonebridge church uh We just hired Joey Weber as our associate pastor. (laughs) But, by the way, I made that while I was listening to him practice his sermon. um, And he loved me for it. He thought I was taking notes on (laughs) and critiquing him. I was just making that. Um, Last but not least, this this is really fun. So, July 1st, we became our own autonomous church of Cornerstone in Ames. And... We kept their logo. We now have a new logo. Check it out. And on top of that, if you are a member of Stonebridge Church, we have a free Stonebridge t-shirt for you in the back and where you're out. And if you're not a member, uh, they're 12 bucks, and you can purchase one. So, um, <laughs> Yay! <laughs> So let's stand and worship.